into cybersecurity, there's a ton of content out there. And if you don't know where to start, it can be overwhelming, even paralyzing. So let's fix that. Welcome to Simply Cyber, a community of tens of thousands of aspiring and active cybersecurity professionals focused on networking, knowledge sharing, and professional development. I'm Dr. Gerald Dozier, Chief Content Creator at Simply Cyber, inviting you to get the answers to your cybersecurity problems with hundreds of cybersecurity videos answering your frequently asked questions, interviewing industry experts, and live streaming daily cyber threat briefings hosted by me. Now get the stories and insights you won't find anywhere else. Hit subscribe now and dig into all the fresh content on the channel and in the community. Nothing should stop you from launching and leveling up your cybersecurity career today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. This is Friday, August 18th, 2023. Everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> Everyone's working for the weekend, including me, y'all. And it's episode 433 of the Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing Podcast. As I said, I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 45 minutes, me, you, Marcus Kyler, Terrence Billingsley, Alicia Jerry, Jenny Housley, uh, Chris Farley, in the Chippendales dancing maneuvers, all those on LinkedIn, all those on YouTube, Simply Cyber Squad members, first-timers and long-timers, we're all going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories of the day, and I'll be giving my expert opinion and analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner, so how can you use this and operationalize it at work this week, this quarter, this coming fiscal year, or if you're looking to break in the industry, believe me, you are going to get massive value from the stream, not just the networking. Everybody in chat, James Edicudo, uh, pastor of Muppets over on LinkedIn, Nathan Bolin, who's 24-7 on call right now. The networking is epic, but... You will be asked in any cyber job interview, how do you stay current in the industry? This right here is a phenomenal answer. And I'm not just saying that because it's my podcast. I'm saying it because it's true. We cover the top news. Just settle in. Uh, come back. If it's your first time, you're in for a treat. Believe that. And if you're a long time, you know exactly what you're about to get. Before we get into it, I do want to share with you that each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, just like this one, even though we're having a good time, you're going to get half a CPE for being here. That stacks two and a half a week, 10 a month. So be sure to say what's up in chat. If you're not sure what to say, say hashtag team live or, you know, say anything, but take a screen cap and uh, file it away and be sure to document. If you're watching on replay, it does count towards CPEs also. So take a screenshot, hashtag team replay in the comments if you want to bookmark it somehow with your name and timestamp. If it's your first time here, like Rihanna saying, good morning, longtime passive observer, first time commenter. Rihanna knows what's going on. Hashtag passive observer, step into the light of social networking. Everybody, good morning, Rihanna. I'm actually going to take it one step further and say good morning directly, both in uh, verbally and in stream chat. Here you go. There you go, Rihanna. Good to have you. Thanks for stepping 
stepping up and saying hello to everybody. We appreciate that. If it's your first time on the stream, we already got 176 people coming out the gate strong, which is crazy because usually Fridays are our slowest day, and I always attribute it to our college uh, population having a, a, a hard, heavy, strong Thursday night start of the college weekend. So good to see y'all. Um, if it's your first time, though, say hashtag first timer in chat. I personally love to welcome passive observers into the stream and also to say what's up. Um, okay. Um, I, I love to say what's up to first timers. Uh, ben Howard really quickly is saying, if you're asking and how do you stay current in the interview, how do you pronounce my last name? It's Osher. So the easiest way that I think uh, I've found to explain to people is think of Microsoft Azure. And instead of an ah -zer, say Ozer, Ozer, Ozer. <laughs> All right, Gerald Ozer, Simply Cyber. All right, thanks for asking, Ben. I appreciate that. Guys, before we get into it, first day as an InfoSec analyst, Riley Conway. Coming in strong, Riley. Congratulations uh, on that. Uh, happy to have you here <laughs> on your first day. You're already crushing it. I believe that. Um, All right. Dika Elmi with first timer status on. Hey Dika, good to have you here. I hope you enjoy the stream. I'll be asking you throughout the <laughs> throughout the show what your thoughts are, uh, and we'll have a good time. Thanks, Stone Arrow. Good to see you guys. Before we get into it, I want to say shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors who allow me to bring this to you every single morning. Barricade Cyber Solutions. They're dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions, Eric Taylor and the gang over there, they know how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. They have years and years, hundreds if not thousands of clients and have worked through horrible cyber incidents and gotten those businesses back on top. So definitely call them. Uh, check them out at barricadecyber.com. Link in the description below um, to help you not deal with nightmare scenarios. Believe me, um, you're going to want to have them on speed dial. Want to say shout out to Anti-Siphon Training. Listen, guys, Black Hills Information Security, if you know them, you know how awesome they are. Anti-Siphon Training is their training arm. They are focused on disrupting the traditional training industry by providing high-quality, cutting-edge education to everyone regardless of financial position or socioeconomic background. If you go to this uh, site, there's a link in the description below. You can go to training, pay what you can training. And there's eight courses here that are literally whatever you can pay, right? So if you can pay $0, there you go. If you can pay 25, there you go. If you can pay 500 or whatever it is, there you go, right? If you got like a business paying for it or something like that. So definitely check it out. They got PCI training, SOC core skills, um, pen testing, reporting. Uh, John Strand himself teaches three of the classes. And the dude's epic, but all of the instructors over there are epic. So don't, don't um, miss out on this opportunity. It's legit and it's high quality. Also want to say shout out to Panopsi Security, but more about them at the mid-roll. It is Friday which means it's Grayson's joke of the week. So stay tuned. Every single day of the week has a special segment. Today is my my son, Grayson. He gives a, a joke to the community every single Friday. And if James McQuiggan's in chat, he also tends to drop a joke in chat. So we'll have a good time. But now it's time to get down to business. So do me a favor. Sit back, relax, and let's let the cool sounds of the hot news. Percy! 
wash over us in an awesome wave. I'll see you guys at the mid-roll. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Friday, August 18th, 2023. Influence operators are fine-tuning AI to deceive targets. A range of operators, including cybercrime groups, is continuing to exploit AI technologies such as deepfakes to take advantage of people's inability to distinguish reality from deception. This is according to researchers from Mandians in a report released yesterday. The researchers highlighted social engineering as the most successful and used vector thus far, but warned that generative AI technologies will give threat actors an ability to, quote, efficiently scale their activity beyond their inherent means. End quote. Sixty-seven percent of go- that was like, uh, okay. Did I mean maybe I missed something? Uh, that story was all sizzle, no steak, right? Google Mania released a report saying that cyber threat actors are going to increase influence operations using AI. Like, okay, how? Like, what? <laughs> I need more substance, please. Uh, let's check this out. If you don't know, Mandiant. Uh, who was acquired by Google for like a bajillion dollars last year. Um, they are what I would consider the most well-known, the most, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I assume their quality's high end, but they're like the platinum package of incident response. They are the Learjet. They are the G6. So like when a Fortune 5 company gets hit, they call Mandiant. When the U.S. government gets hit, they call Mandiant. Okay, so Mandiant is legit ultra incident response. Okay, so just just to put it in perspective, and Google acquired them last year for some reason. I'm sure there was some great business reason why they did it. FireEye is the EDR solution that is associated with Mandiant under the same kind of umbrella. Just 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 a level set for everybody if you don't know who Mandiant is. Now they're the ones who released this report. Uh, threat actors interested in using generative AI, but use remains limited. Guys, if you've been using AI, Shall we play a game? you know how um, useful it is and how effective it is. Uh, influence operations, misinformation, disinformation. This is actually what I would consider uh, probably in AI's wheelhouse as far as um, being able to be useful. So... This story, um, I'm actually going to link to the story. This is a good story to actually read. I'll tell you what, uh, I respect the crap out of Mandiant. Um, I will uh, take for action, okay, since you guys are my boss. which I will do is take for action. I will actually read this report um, today and post uh, my thoughts on it. Uh, read AI Mandiant report. All right. If anyone's interested, if you're not interested, let me know uh, in chat. Uh, but I think that this could be interesting. Again, I respect the crap out of Mandiant. So, um, but this is all, I need to read this to understand what is actually happening. The fact that their threat actors are going to use AI is like, that's not news, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like obvious. So we'll see what's up. Sorry guys. Kind of like, uh, you know, we were like lined up for the sprint on the track and the, the starter pistol shot off and we ran like one foot and then tripped and fell because this was not a hot out the gate spicy story to, to launch the podcast this morning. I mean, agencies claim confidence in adopting zero trust. 
According to a new report from Swimlane, quoted in Security Magazine, quote, 67% of government agencies are confident or very confident that they are prepared to meet the zero-trust requirements laid out by the U.S. government's memorandum M-2209. Almost two-thirds of the agencies who responded to the Swimlane researchers stated that they are choosing low-code security automation as their primary tool for meeting the memorandum's guidelines. Additional statistics of interest from the report... An equal number, 64% of federal agencies report that it takes longer to fill a security position now than it did two years ago, with one-third believing that they will, quote, never have a fully staffed security team with the proper skills, end quote. All right. All right. <clears throat> okay, so there's a lot. Uh... Yeah, exactly. James Randolph. Okay, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot on this bone, right? There's a lot of meat to pick up uh, on this. Uh, so Brian W says, what government I have to assume they're talking about the United States government. Let's just take a look. It is, it is a fair question to ask. Yeah. They're talking about the U S government. Okay. So here's the deal. I, I, I've got, I've got some thoughts to give you. And then I've got a, um, speculative tinfoil hat hot take. Okay. First of all. Um, if you recall, last year or two years ago, Biden released uh, an executive order, and we we as a community kind of tore into a little bit. It said that like everybody needed MFA in 90 days. It also said that you needed to have achieved zero trust architecture by whatever days. And some of us in the community railed against like, oh man, like you know people's budgets are locked in. There's a lot of legacy tech, all this other stuff. Well, um, that story is coming back around or that mandate is coming back around. And yeah, the 2022 executive order is what I'm talking about. Uh, Jack Scott and I did like a live stream, um, you know, initial thoughts and reactions to that report. 67% of government agencies are confident to very confident that they're pre prepared for zero trust requirements. Oh boy. Here's the thing. Zero trust was like the buzzword of the year. Like every single year, there's like a hot buzzword. Um, you know what I mean? Like in our industry and zero trust was it like really in 2020, 2021, um, 2020 was digital transformation, 21 zero trust architecture, ZTA. And basically all it is, is it's really primarily focused on uh, identity and access management around everything. So there is no, there's no like inner sanctum of safety, like where you, you like get validated or authenticated for who you are. And then you're in, it's like, you need to prove who you are everywhere and everything. You have zero trust, right? Hence the name zero trust. So what they're saying is, um, 99% of the agencies are going to achieve this zero trust requirement through no code or low code automation platforms. Okay. So low code, no code. This is kind of like, I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But like Tynes is a low code, no code platform. WordPress is low code, no code. It's, it's kind of like WYSIWYG platforms where you, you, um, you kind of put in place what you want and you, and everything underneath is handled by the uh, vendor, i.e. like cloud and microservices and crap like that. I, here's what I think. Um, CJ says, with this count as role-based access, 
Yes and no, not really. So role-based access, it's like, okay, you work in marketing, so you get access to all the marketing things. That does do least use and it does, or excuse me, least privilege, and that does constrain you. But when you're accessing like anything, like, you know, file servers, all that other stuff, um, you, you have to prove who you are every step of the way because if you get compromised, you can you get compromised and then all the marketing stuff is compromised, right? Um, so, okay, Salesforce, low code, no code. Thanks, Scott Munez. Uh, so yeah, like CRMs, those type of tools. Anyways, I, I here's here's my speculative hot take, okay? Here's my speculative hot take. Either someone internal to the federal government or some really, really excellent salespeople identified that there is a bend to low code, no code that would achieve zero trust architecture. And then they went on a absolute like scorched earth campaign, like going to cover everything with, hey, you got this executive order. Hey, we've got the solution for you. Hey, throw a bunch of money at us and we'll give you low code, no code, zero trust architecture. Here's why low code, no code meets zero trust architecture. And then word spread like wildfire throughout the federal government that this is a solution to this memorandum that we had no idea how we were going to possibly solve. Give me some of that. 99% of agencies in the U.S. government are citing that this is how they're going to meet it. There's no way. Dude, the U.S. government does not coordinate this effectively with 99% coverage, no way, no way. I, if you've ever in, interfaced with the U.S. government, um, and if you are a civilian or military or, you know, a federal, like, I, I, I appreciate it, but I'm just telling you, agencies do not coordinate with each other very well. Um, there's communication things. There's, like, you know, protecting my my assets, right? Like, this is my, you know, bag of toys. Like, I'm, you're not going to use my toys. They don't coordinate. So like for 99% of them to all get on board in less than a year with this solution for meeting zero trust architecture requirements, somebody in sales somewhere must have got in the right ear and then it blew up, right? So anyways, um, the other thing I want to point out here is this is startling. 83% of federal agencies report having open security team positions. Here's another thing that I can share with you, okay? And this might change because I only have experience in D.C. and uh, Charleston, which is Spay War Atlantic, okay? Uh, if you know the government and all that, there's Spay War Pack. I did a little bit of work with. But, but anyways, my point is what I'm about to tell you may not be true for all federal agency uh, situations, but in my experience, it's true. Even if you have a job posting and you know exactly who you want to hire for it, right? So you're a government person. You've got a job opening. I want to hire uh, Micah, Micah Romine. I want to hire Micah for my job. Like Micah's got all the skills. Micah's been doing the job as a contractor for five years. Micah's the person I'm going to hire. No question. I get the billet open. It will, and this is not a joke. It will take minimum six months before Micah gets in the job. And, th and that's a job that's like hardwired, set up, everybody involved knows everybody involved and everybody involved wants Micah to take this job. Six months, right? So, so like, and that's like the best, that's like your most fastest time that's going to happen. So when they say 83% of jobs, uh, security jobs are currently open, um, like 
that that's that's horrible and filling them is going to take forever because here's the deal if you're looking for a job you're not going to take 6 months you're going to take it faster because there's private sector jobs that you can get I'm not even mentioning salary. The federal government can't pay what the private sector can pay, right? So then you go work in the federal government, either for job safety or for for the mission because you're into that or because you're transitioning from military to civilian and it's an easy transition and you just want comfort. Uh, you don't want to uproot and move your kids because they're young or whatever your situation is. Federal government does not pay remotely close to what private sector pays and they take forever to get the job. This is why 83% of the agencies have open positions. It, it's, it, there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of bloat, a lot of red tape, a lot of, you know, uh, everybody's got to get their, you know, thumbs on this thing. Everybody's got to, you know, do their part. So anyways, I know that that was a long rant. Um, it, well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, BSEC mentions, uh, 9-11, right? Just <laughs> like the, the, the lack of communication before that. And then how, after that agencies had to share information much more, but I'm telling you just because that, you know, cataclysmic event occurred and then they were told like a parent talking to children, you now need to start sharing. There's still entrenched culture. There's still pissing mat. Sorry, Kennedy. There's still, you know, um, territorial. Uh, anyways, this is the reality of federal government in the U.S. on hiring and more. So we'll see. We'll see. Low code, no code. And, you know, get get in there now. Really quick, Frank Andreoli. Frank, I'm sorry I said your last name incorrectly. When I got hired at the Department of VA, I applied in September of 18, got a call in March of 19, hired in May 19. This is like perfect. That's what I'm saying. Applied in September, called six months later for an interview. Dude, most people have already taken another job and they're past their first 90 days. It just, it, it makes me mad. It makes me mad because it, it, it doesn't need to be that way. And this is... Okay, now I'm now now I'm off my rocker. Okay, listen, this is one of the reasons that I'm such a huge Jen Easterly fan. I know we have fun on the channel that I'm like a Jen Easterly uh, fanboy and stuff, but part of the reason that I'm such an advocate and a champion of what she is doing is because she is dismantling and disrupting this decades-long concept of like slow-moving federal government and we move wicked slow and bureaucracy and everybody's got to have a say. She's stripping that away and she's actually getting directly to market. She's making things happen much faster. She's getting away from this. I guarantee, here's a, here's a fact check. If I had an information, uh, like a data science person in chat, I bet you money, okay? I bet, I bet money that matters to me that CISA's hiring practices are an anomaly compared to the rest of the federal government. I bet you Jen has intervened on the way that CISA hires. And I bet you that they don't have these long, you know, from posting to hire times. I don't know how to get that information, but I bet you that that is a fact. All right. I'm just. Ugh. CISA warns of urgent Citrix oh, vulnerability. Thank you, CISA. CISA is mandating that U.S. federal civilian <laughs> agencies must, me must talking patch about a high-severity bug that affects the, quote, customer-managed share file storage zones controller, end quote. 
Tracked as CVE 2023-24489, the vulnerability has a CVSS score of 9.1. Researchers at AssetNode are credited with its discovery, and security company Grey Noise says it has already observed attacker activity. Asset Note security researcher Dylan Pinder pointed out that there are between 1,000 and 6,000 instances that are internet accessible and that the sensitive data stored there would have, quote, quite an impact, end quote, if stolen. Raccoon steel. All right, so a couple things. One, CISA, as I just, and by the way, I, I usually say this at the beginning of the show, um, Melik, uh, who, who's a first-timer, any other first-timers in chat, I do not review or prepare this podcast in advance. I do not know the stories that are going to come up. Uh, so you're getting my initial reaction, the same as you all are hearing it for the first time. Okay. So I didn't know the CISA story was going to come up, but I'm wicked happy about it. All right. So check it out. Uh, CISA, who is moving at the speed of business, not government, um, is one of the things that they do for industry is they provide... Um, guidance on actively exploited really nasty vulnerabilities as quickly as they can to market so we as practitioners can take action on it and reduce cyber risk and ultimately lower the impact of um bad happening okay so this citric citrix vulnerability is actively being exploited which is not good it can allow you to get backdoored citrix if you don't know it's basically a platform i'm i'm going to butcher this but it's essentially a platform that allows you to abstract f applications and systems inside your internal network to allow it to be accessed externally, okay? Think of it as like a bastion host if you want to take it back to your SEC plus CISSP days, but it's not really like um, a server that you route through. Citrix allows you to, you know, log into a portal and then launch an app and then do what you need to do. And it's it, it allows you some separation between the assets themselves, the network itself, excuse me, and remote workforce, right? It's perfect. It's perfect for salespeople, people on the road. It's perfect, okay? But like anything else, it's technology and it's internet facing, which means that everybody and their uh, brother can hammer away on it and typically citrix it's been around for a while it's very good um but it does have vulnerabilities and this one cve 2023-24489 released on june 13th so just a few months ago um is is getting compromised it's got a score of 9 1 out of 10 which is not the highest right 10 out of 10 would be bad um the fact that you can root this and get a back door on it oh this is a different um a different vulnerability. Like the fact that you can root and backdoor this one, to me, that would be a 10 out of 10 if uh, it was actively being exploited. The TLDR here is if you are running Citrix, um, you may want to, not may, you should, you absolutely should have already done this, investigated um, whether or not you're susceptible to this in the um, the share file storage zone controller. I'm also hearing right now, uh, BSEX letting me know that most remote SAP instances run on Citrix. So you may not think you have Citrix in your environment, but if you're running SAP, which by the way is like most, uh, that's like a solution for large enterprises, right? Like like 10,000 employees or more, you know, run SAP, which is an ERP solution, which is out of the scope of this. You probably have an entire SAP team. You probably have a Citrix team if you're if you're that big an organization. So <clears throat> long story short, 
this is definitely something that you should be mindful of. Remember, guys, when, when crap like this happens, and for those who are trying to break into the industry, this is a good time to perk up and listen because this is something you could drop in a job interview. One of the things you got to remember, when something like this comes out, Yes, you need to take the CVE, the IOCs, the understanding, share it with your IT counterparts and say, hey, listen, are we vulnerable to this? Yes or no. And if we are, how can we like, can we fix it soon? Can we, if not, how can we, um, how long until we can fix it? And in that interim time between now and when we can fix it, you know, can we reduce risk? Can we, can we, can we shut it down? Which would be an extreme example. Can we increase um, uh, logging on those boxes to see what's up? Can we restrict user logins to certain times of the day or certain geographical regions? Whatever it is. And then here's the part where you blow the uh, interviewers' minds, right? And by the way, if you're working in industry, you know, obviously do this too. Not only should you protect and harden the um. The, the, the Citrix instance in this case, but you should also, you may have already been compromised and not even know it. So you need to take the IOCs that are provided, right? The indicators are compromised, the IP addresses, the hashes, the network behavior, and go backwards and look, this has been out. They said that a proof of concept exploit was released on 4th of July, all right? Way to go, America. So a POC has been out since July 4th. So really you should go back and look between like say July 1st and uh, August 18th <clears throat> for any compromises, for any unusual traffic, for any um, C2 you know, behavior or IP address, you know, traffic to certain known IPs and stuff like that, right? East-West traffic, that's the work. It, you, you can harden and say, oh yeah, no problem. On August 19th, we, we secured ourselves. But guys, if they're already, <clears throat> if they're already, <clears throat> If the threat actors are already in your environment, it doesn't matter if you patched. That's why they establish persistence mechanisms. They don't need to pop your Citrix again. They're already inside. They have built a little fort inside your house. They got a little campfire, little uh, open can of beans that they're cooking over there. They're in your house. It doesn't matter if you change the front door locks. They're living rent-free upstairs in the guest bedroom closet. You feel me? All right. The malware is back and improved. Following a six-month hiatus, which followed the arrest of its administrator, the makers of the malware-as-a-service named Raccoon Malware have announced its return with an easier-to-use version and improved abilities to hide from security tools. This improved Raccoon also provides a handy dashboard feature that gives its users an overview of successful campaigns. <clears throat> All right, so... This gives me eerie rec uh, memories of when Emotet resurfaced. So this has nothing to do with Emotet. I'm just saying Emotet got dismantled. Emotet was a massive problem for our industry. And then it went away. And then and then when they came back, they came back full throttle. And it was like, ah, Emotet's back. And I remember that day at work where it was like, holy crap, Emotet's back. Raccoon Stealer is kind of like that, Okay. Right now in our industry, if you don't know this, information stealers are a major category of malware, right? We always, many of us, uh, you know, ransomware. Ransomware is the, the darling at the ball, the one where like when ransomware enters the prom, all the lights turn low and like the spotlight drops on ransomware and it's like, 
here she is, Miss, you know, Miss Beautiful, whatever. And ransomware gets the uh, the shining light. But guess what? Info stealers, they're right there next to them. They were in the limo with with ransomware, right? They got their hair done or got their tuxedos and shoes shined, whatever. Pick your gender, it doesn't matter. My point is, don't sleep on information stealers. They're massive. Redline info stealer is a massive one. Raccoon stealer is a massive one. I didn't realize Raccoon had gone uh, dormant for six months. I did notice that Raccoon Stealer was like less prevalent. And I, I just thought like, oh, you know, they just, whatever. They kind of went south. What I think happened, again, this is a ridiculous, this is a ridiculous speculative hot take. But Raccoon, they probably made enough money and then they took like a mini retirement. They're like, bro, we're working our butt off. Like, let's go down to Fiji and get some, uh, you know, drinks and coconuts and relax for a hot minute, right? Summertime, right? Right, was it Will Smith? Summer, summer, summertime, right? That was a terrible uh, rendition of that. But <clears throat> my point is, little micro retirement, then come back, <clears throat> you know, add some new features uh, to their platform and relaunch and they're back at it. <clears throat> you can see they're happy to return um, with new strength. They also may have just had like law enforcement up their butt and they were trying to stay low for a hot minute. All these things are possible. Um, all I would say is you may want to, um, oh, okay, hold on. Last October, the U.S. indicted one of the key administrators. Um, that doesn't say they arrested him. The U.S. government does indict a lot of cyber criminals. <clears throat> the Lazarus Group, for example, from North Korea, they've all been indicted by the U.S. government. You can't get to them to arrest them. So the indictment is just step one, but it doesn't really change anything. So it's possible Raccoon Stealer, um, the people behind it got a little scared and <clears throat> um, took a minute off, but you know, whatever, they're back. Um, <clears throat> again, what I'll tell you from a practitioner perspective is that this is a uh, info stealer as a service. So it can be quite pervasive. Um, the way that they deploy it, it can be deployed many different ways because they sell it as a service. So that, like basically me, Jenny Housley, Alicia Jerry, we're all going to be threat actors. We're all going to steal data from our victims. How we deliver it is different. Alicia Jerry puts it on a USB malware, throws it in the parking lot. I send a phishing email. Jenny Housley does a vishing call and calls and says, hey, I'm, I'm Jenny from the block. I, I'm trying to log in. I can't do it. And the help desk person's like, well, let me try. Let me go to this URL. It's a fake URL. They download the info stealer and Jenny owns that help desk support person and all the password resets that they're doing, right? You can do it many different ways. The initial attack and infection isn't the thing. The malware is the payload that gets detonated. If you look at the attack kill chain, I think malware or detonation actions on objective is like five or six. That's what's happening here. Don't sleep on raccoon uh, malware. They're back, as a BSEC put it. I came in like a and now, a word from our sponsor, Vesa. 75% of breaches happen because of bad permissions. The problem is that you don't know exactly who has access to what data in your environment. For example, roles labeled as read-only can often edit and delete sensitive data. Vesa automatically finds and fixes every bad permission in every app across your environment. For more information, go to Vesa.com. That's V-E-Z-A dot com. 
All right. Hey, guess what? Uh, Malik, if you're, you know, you're a first timer here, any other first timers, we do this every day at the mid roll. Today's no different. So let's do that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We're halfway through the show at the bottom of the hour. I hope you're having a good time. I certainly am. If you're getting entertainment value, if you're getting educational value, do me a favor. Take one second. Hit that like button. Why? It does. It pays it forward. It helps people like Malik, who's a first timer, find the stream. Dude, at some point, it was your first stream here. At some point, you found Simply Cyber. Guess what? Chances are it's because the day before, the week before, the Simply Cyber community was hitting the like button and it was pushing the Daily Cyber Threat Brief podcast into your streams. So please pay it forward. Help someone else find what we're doing here and allow them to get up, get all up in Simply Cyber's business because it's all about community up in here. We're rocking at 330 people this morning, so good on you. Coffee cup cheers uh, to all of you. Want to say thank you again to the stream sponsors, Barricade, Panopsi, and Anti-Siphon. Uh, just to spend a minute on Panopsi. Pan- hey, Wargoons, I see you. Wargoons, day two, my man. You're not a first-timer, you're a long-timer. Hey, listen, uh, Panopsi Security, get a partner who understands your cybersecurity program. If you are being reactive, if you don't really know, if you saw that Citrix story and you're like, ah, and you like run to the Citrix story, and then tomorrow it's like a... Um, you know, Cisco, AnyConnect, VPN, and you're like, and you're running this way. Like, stop, pause, breathe. Yes, you need to handle the tactical things, but get a long-term strategy in place. Start reducing cyber risk in meaningful, deliberate ways. High risk reduction, low hanging fruit. Panopsi Security, that is who can help you do that, right? If you're looking for VC, so, or just guidance, uh, you know, a three-month engagement to give you a three-year roadmap plan. That's what they do. I love Brandon Poole, who runs Panopsi. He's a good friend. He's been on the stream before. Links in the description below, Panopsi. All right, guys, the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Every single day, a new person gets the baton. See if I can make this look. I can't really see it. Hashtag Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Do me a favor. Uh, Duotech currently is holding the baton. Here's the deal, okay? Go on LinkedIn. This is like literally an action item for you. It'll take you five minutes. You'll thank me later. Go on LinkedIn. Search for this hashtag. Hashtag Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Find who is posting with that hashtag. They were baton holders. You can go back and and, and find all of them, right? It's been over 100 now. Connect with those people. So LinkedIn connection, first level connection. Connect with the people in the comments, right? Comment yourself so you get picked up in the peloton of people commenting. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Why? Why should you put in your time, effort, and energy into doing that? Is this a silly little stupid thing that we're doing just to see whatever? No. You will build a meaningful, deliberate, inclusive, cybersecurity-focused network. If you want that, do this. If you do not want that, if LinkedIn is where you go to learn, like, cooking recipes or you're really into higher ed and not cyber don't do this this is for cyber only in two weeks time you will see your feed is focused hypercharged with valuable cybersecurity, supportive uplifting commentary thoughts less ads less non-relatable stuff to you and it's basically an extension of the simply cyber community believe me many people have told me and I've seen it myself 
This is going to work for you. And guys, networking is incredibly valuable in our industry. It is unbelievably valuable. So please help, allow me to help you do this. Uh, Duo Tech, please grab the baton. Really quickly, it is the joke of the week. Every single Friday, Grayson shares a joke. Uh, Grayson said, Dad, I, I, we were making breakfast over the weekend. He wanted uh, eggs and toast. So I'm whipping up some scrambled eggs, getting him some toast. And he said, Dad, make sure you don't, you don't go all Darth Vader on the toast. And I said, what do you mean, Grayson? And he said, you know, cook it more on the dark side. And I was like, ah. All right, so a little bit uh, more of a, a story type joke from Grayson this week, but the the uh, TLDR is Darth Vader has his toast a little bit more on the dark side, so you got to be mindful of that when you're ordering uh, toast from the old Vader man. All right, guys, let's keep let's keep going and hit, and uh, go strong. Second half of the show, and then we'll do a little bit of jaw jacking. New ransomware report finds twenty percent increase in ransomware affecting organizations in July. GuidePoint Security yesterday released its GuidePoint Research and Intelligence team. Hold on, James McQuiggan, who is an honorary joke of the week uh, Friday submitter, um, just dropped in chat. What did the triangle say to the circle? Yeah, pointless. <laughs> Thank you, James. Team report, which observed in July an increase in active threat groups as well as industries and countries impacted. This is despite what it calls a, quote, considerable decrease in activity attributed to seven of June's top 10 threat groups, end quote. The U.S. was the most attacked country, manufacturing the most impacted industry and CLOP, Lockbit, and 8Base, the top three active groups. I forgot about 8Base. 8Base was hot for like a minute. They were, do you remember 8Base? They were like, um, 8Base was like Space Hog. Right. In the meantime, it, for, for my 90s people, um, you know, like like a, a big surgy one hit wonder. And then, you know, off they went. I remember uh, I was talking to Eric Taylor offline and he was like trying to dig into information around eight bases, a threat actor group, because there wasn't really anything before them. And I literally forgot about them afterwards. So, um, you know, whatever, I guess they'll show up on VH1's one hit wonders, uh, you know, the 2020s edition. Uh, in a couple <laughs> a couple years. Um, uh, it looks like we got Johnny Five taking the baton. Johnny Five. All right, Johnny. Thank you so much for picking that up. We look forward to your post on... Yes, Taylor McDonald. It sounds like 8Base may have saw the sign. Huh? Huh? You see what I did there? You see what I did there? Like, all the youngs in chat are like, what are these old people talking about with this? I'm going to have to Google it. Like, I'm going to have to pull out an Encyclopedia Britannica and blow the dust off of it and look up what the heck they're talking about. All right, so guys, here's the deal. Um, GuidePoint, so interesting thing. I had never heard of GuidePoint until this week at um, Black Hat. I want to say shout out to Jean-Paul um, Briere, not Briere, that's cheese. Uh, give me a second. I, want, I do want to do, do this because I'm actually going to bring them on Simply Cyber Live uh, and just also want to... Um, Sean Paul Berger, Boger, Berger, this guy right here. Hold on. You're going to love this. And I'm also going to talk about the power of networking, okay? This guy right here, okay? Leesburg, Virginia. Jean Paul, he's the CTO of GuidePoint. I had never heard of GuidePoint, okay? On Friday morning at Black Hat DEF CON, I walk out of the Luxor, and, and DEF CON is like 
It's just next door, but you still have to take a car there because Vegas is lame like that. And, you know, I, I always, you know, this isn't to save a couple bucks, but like I always just try to like get on someone else's Uber <laughs> because it's good for networking. So this guy is standing there. I'm with my friend Rod Rickenbach. Rod's like, I know this guy. Hey, Jean Paul. And, and Jean Paul, he's like, where are you guys going? We're like, we're going over to DEF CON. He's like, cool. I'm having lunch or breakfast at Bellagio, which is really is across the street. He's like, you want to hop in my Uber? Yes. We get in the Uber. I turn around because I'm in the front seat of the car. And I'm like, listen, I'm Jerry. Who are you? And he's like, I'm this guy. I work at this company. I go, what does that company do? I've never heard of them. And this is where it comes into focus. He's like, oh, I work at GuidePoint. We're basically like, a, we're, we're a new take on Optiv. If you've heard of Optiv, Optiv is basically like consulting, but really focused on InfoSec. And I personally, and this is no disrespect to Optiv, um, but I personally have seen a degradation in the quality. And I've heard from the community and feedback on the quality of Optiv engagements over the last four or five years, like slow decline. GuidePoint is competing. They actually spawned out of that. It's a whole thing. Long story short, this came onto my radar. I like GuidePoint. I liked this guy. I'm actually going to have him on Simply Cyber Live. So now I'm seeing GuidePoint uh, research come out around ransomware trends. Because I met that guy, because I know what they're doing, I actually have higher level of fidelity in the information presented in this report and just said some... some, you know, whatever, some, some, some organization released some report. So this is what I'm saying. Okay. This is, first of all, that's the power of networking, you know, great, great relationship, cool guy. Um, secondly, this report, I'm going to put a little bit higher on my, my radar of things to be interested in. Now, tactically speaking, sorry, that was a long way to get around to this story. Uh, yeah. Um, hold on one second. Oh, Jax works for GuidePoint? Okay, well, Jax, uh, <laughs> let me, I don't know if you know Jean-Paul, but um, definitely a cool guy. Uh, if Jax is working over there, that just speaks volumes to how awesome that place is. Um, okay, so check it out. Uh, obviously, guys, do keep the uh, keep the chat clean. We are a family-friendly stream. Um, a couple things that they mentioned, and you should absolutely grab this report. I'll drop a link in chat um, right now. Things that they reported. One, the United States is the most targeted country. No surprise there. Uh, it's capitalism. Great cash, homie. Also, they said that manufacturing continues to be the number one industry attacked. So this is not a surprise. If you work in manufacturing, you absolutely should already know this. And you should remind um, you should remind your CIO and business that, you know, you got the biggest bullseye on your back, so you really should be mindful. MFA, educating your end users, all these things. Uh, and then the major threat actor groups, which, by the way, like Klopp ransomware is number one, but it's because of the Move It breach. Um, 8Base had that surge. It doesn't matter. You should not be like, in my opinion, you shouldn't be focused unless you're like a Fortune 50 financial services company and you've already got a level like four out of five maturity security program, you should not be focusing on specific TTPs of specific ransomware groups, right? You're not like, oh, like, like we're really focused on protecting from CLOP. Ransomware is a blight on our society. 
it doesn't matter who it doesn't matter how they get in or whatever you need to protect from ransomware period and cyber resiliency you need to make sure that you can continue to operate in the event that you experience a ransomware attack and you need to make sure that your recovery processes are as well oiled as possible that includes testing them through tabletop exercises making sure that you can recover to a known uh, good data set knowing how long it takes to bring your systems up guys it, this isn't a video game this is real life so like when you restore from backups it takes like one second in a video game and it's like blah, 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 blah. there we go we're back no in reality we talked about sap and citrix earlier to restore i've seen production databases take 13 to 18 hours to restore successfully and by the way tell me friend what order do we restore things in? Do you restore the SAP database first? Do you restore Active Directory first? Do you restore the file server first? Do you restore Citrix interface outside facing? Do you restore Cisco AnyConnect first? What, what order do you restore these things in? Because guess what? Order matters. If you don't stand things up in the right way and a system requires another system as a dependency to be existing for it to work and you find out 12 hours into a recovery that, oh, she's we probably we probably needed to do that first that's not good that's lost money that's lost revenue that's lost time it's not good tldr download the report check it out use it to your advantage to get budget get resources and get focus on reducing cyber risk no filter attack privilege escalation method bypasses windows security no filter is a previously undetected attack method that can abuse the Windows filtering platform to obtain privilege escalation in the Windows operating system. This is the result of research presented by Ron Ben Yitzak, a security researcher at Deep Instinct at DEFCON. As reported in the Hacker News, quote, the no filter can launch a new console as NT authority slash system or as another user that is logged on to the machine, end quote. Ben Yitzhak, in his presentation, stated, quote, new attack vectors can be found by looking into built-in components of the OS, such as the Windows filtering platform, to avoid Win API, leave barely any evidence and logs, and go undetected by several security products, end quote. Wow, okay. Google's. There's a lot going on here. I'll drop a link. Uh, I can't really drop a link uh, to this one. Hold on one second. Here we go. This is a presentation. This um, this is classic DEFCON uh, high quality presentation. Um, so like, if you're looking for like how awesome a DEFCON talk can be, this is a good one. Okay, I've never heard of Windows Windows filtering platform, but um, you know this guy figured it out. He's a researcher at Deep Instinct. Um, essentially, what we're talking about here is privilege escalation. So. Uh, really, really quickly, when you get on a box, if you, if I convince Jenny Housley to click on a link and now I've, I've got access to her machine, I might be operating under Jenny Housley's privileges or Jenny Housley's account, but I, I want to be the captain now, right? I want to own root. I want to have system. I want NT authority. I want the God mode. Uh, account on that box because it's going to allow me to do a lot of nasty things install persistence mechanisms dump creds delete logs all these things uninstall <laughs> edr so in order to do that you need to do privilege escalation right and there's different ways to do it um it's it's a it's a tale as old as time 
And this individual figured out some uh, way using existing um, functionality in the Windows operating system, aka living off the land, L-O-T-L, uh, in order to do that privilege escalation. Uh, it looks like he's actually, um, he does cover some known techniques. You can see here, known techniques, duplicate tokens, duplicate handles. So uh, like a true researcher, he's actually presenting the, it, they call it a literature review in nerd world, but it's basically presenting what is the known body of knowledge around this very specific topic so we can level set and understand how we build on top of existing knowledge base. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so and then it looks like he uh, is using RPC Mapper as part of the mechanism to do it. Uh, this is a really technical, deep involved talk. What I will say is I've never heard of the Windows filtering platform, so I don't understand it. Uh, you could see user mode is up and kernel mode is bottom. Um, kernel mode is where kind of the operating system operates and lives. User mode is where Jenny Housley operates and lives. Um, so he's just kind of compromising that. If you're into a deep technical deep dive, this would be cool. What I would encourage you to do is, uh, hey, Aaron Lancaster. Thanks so much for the squad re-up. Um, so guys, here's the deal. Um, I, DEF CON will make these talks available at some point in the next three to six months. I would encourage, if this is interesting to you, if you're into security research, if you're into finding vulnerabilities and getting you know, zero day and having CVEs attached to yourself and you love pain, um, this particular one is really deep in the weeds with Windows. I'm sure it's a great talk. I did not attend the talk myself, but it looks great based on the, um, the slides and everything like that. So definitely check it out. And way to go to the researcher for posting good information. Hopefully, 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 uh, he did communicate with Microsoft prior to going live with this talk. I feel like back in the, just as a little like yesteryear thing, back in the day, um, DEF CON presenters would drop like zero days on stage. Nowadays, it's much more responsible disclosure, coordination with vendors. Um, it happens like far less frequently. So I'm sure he did talk to them uh, and there's a patch or something in place and he was just sharing his research. New Transparency Center outlines its product policies. Users of Google products can now learn more about the policies behind them through this new hub, which also includes reporting and appeal tools and Google's principles for privacy and AI. The hub also includes statistics on actions that Google has taken to ensure user safety, such as blocking bad ads in the billions and removing millions of YouTube videos that violated community guidelines. The hub is available at transparency.google. Canadian alcohol retailer... All right. Google's new transparency center outlines its product policy reporting tools. Way to go. Um, I hate to be so cynical, like instantly cynical. So I'll just put my tinfoil hat on. Um, <laughs> you know, I want, I want Google to be, um, you know, a champion of the people. I hope that... I, I want to assume positive intent that this transparency center is intended to really be honest and uh, thorough and provide that visibility, especially as they get into barred AI um, as an opportunity to engage with the community, to engage with researchers. Remember guys, like scrutiny and transparency, all these things, they, they lend trust. They, they lend uh, collaboration and community, right? So, when um, 
when you have uh, what's what, like public scrutiny around encryption keys and encryption algorithms, um, it's because you want social trust in them. So you're transparent about what it is instead of like Apple just having some, you know, black box, hard coded, super secret, private security tool that now you, you introduce the question like, oh, does law enforcement have a back door? Is, is um, Apple selling access to the, you know what I mean? Like transparency is huge in trust. Uh, so I appreciate that they're doing this. I would like to look at it a little bit more. I mean, it could just be like a lot of boring, um, you know, 100 page documents and not really in anything interesting. It would be cool um, if they were doing it as a public service and they really had people um, driving it in order to, um, you know, make better products, make better things. We'll see. I, I like I like Google. The one thing I'll say about Google is, um, remember, their motto used to be do no evil, right? Their, their motto used to be do no evil or, or something like that, right? Uh, hold on one second. I might be, I might be wrong here. Uh, Google no evil tagline. What was it? I'm sure chat's going to get it before. Don't be evil. Don't be evil. This was from uh, May of 2018. It used to be don't be evil, right? And then they got rid of it. And there was a big hubbub in the industry about, oh my gosh, why is Google getting rid of that? Are they going to start doing evil? Okay. Um, just for clarity, according to the book, um, This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends by Nicole Pelroth, the reason they did that, and I'll give you a hint. <laughs> the reason they did that is because they went into China and China wanted to censor results and control the information that Google would provide to China. Google said no, and they went out, and then, you know, money, 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 and then they went back into China, and then they they submitted to the Chinese government's requirements around censoring, and that's when they felt that they needed to get rid of don't be evil because they were conflicted with providing access to Google search while allowing suppression and all these things. That's why they did that, okay? Uh, so anyways, again, I like Google. I use Google products. I think, I mean, obviously YouTube is Google. Um, I hope this transparency is good, but this is like wicked, you know, policy, documentation, GRCE. I'm a huge GRC wonk, so of course that's what I'm into. Take it easy, Jack Scott. There's a data breach. The Liquor Control Board of Ontario, LCBO, the government-run retailer of alcohol in the province, has warned subscribers of its promotional emails that PII may have been stolen as the result of a breach at its third-party service provider, Conversion Digital, which the LCBO uses to send the emails. The organization emphasizes that customers' passwords, credit card and debit card information were not impacted by this breach. A reminder to All right. So, uh Liquor Control Board Ontario, my Canadian friends, um they were popped. Um you know, this is kind of like I feel like this is a harken back to yesteryear of simpler times where just a regular business would just get popped and their their uh consumer pop their uh customer population data would get popped and that was okay. Um <laughs> so, in the grand scheme of things, this is like a speed bump in the stories. Long story short, um, this will just be uh, inputs into potential phishing campaigns, social engineering, where they know who's been dealing with uh, Liquor Control Board of Ontario. 
that, that's it, right? So it, this is the inputs into a phishing campaign. Be mindful. If you happen to be on the stream right now and you are involved with uh, Canadian Liquor Control Board, you know, be mindful of that. This is just literally, this would be like, this would be a massive story in 1999. And in 2023, it's a footnote. That's how jacked up society is right now with data breaches and the frequency. We got, we got a lot of work ahead of us, y'all. All right. If you were here just for the news, I got news for you. We wrapped it up right at 9 a.m., Congratulations, everybody. We made it to the weekend. This was episode 433. If you were here just for the news, please be good. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the weekend. If you're on call 24-7, if you're working the weekend shifts, um, you know, I hope it's a little bit easier for you. Uh, I wish I said, you know, good vibrations, good vibes. Um, and, I, you know, and thank you for being here. We'll be back on Monday at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, right back at it, grinding. Uh, big news coming up in September. I'm really excited to share with everybody. So stay tuned for that. But if you want to hang out, if you got a couple minutes, we are about to transition. We're going to pivot hard. War goons, long timer knows what's about to happen. Malik, every single day, first timers. We switch over into jaw jacking, and that's what's about to happen. So if you can hang out for a minute and have a good time, please do it. Otherwise, we'll see you on Monday. See ya. everybody welcome to jaw jacking let me get the youtube chat up one second please basically this is kind of like water cooler debrief talk uh where we hang out and have a good time looks like james mcquiggan with a super chat did we just become best friends yep joke of the week from dad james mcquiggan why did the mobile phone need glasses it lost all its contacts hashtag team live hashtag coffee cup cheers have a great weekend did we just become best friends yep thank you so much james mcquiggan longtime squad member Longtime friend. James McQuiggan and I have only known each other for a year. We met at DEF CON or Black Hat last year. And I got to tell you, we agreed to the uh, on this together. I feel like I've known him forever. Like, I love myself some James McQuiggan. If you ever see him or run into him, uh, definitely give him a high five and coffee cup cheers. Thanks for the super chat, James. All right, guys, let's do some jaw jacking. Hey, Alicia Jerry, I love jaw jacking too. Uh, Dream Logic, have a great weekend. Toya, Alla, good to see you. Be good. Got to get in this coffee, y'all. Love my coffee. All right, let's see. Marcus Kyler saying, see you dressed up for the jaw jacking. <laughs> Is Marcus dressed up? Absolutely. LinkedIn saying, stay visual and stay safe. Let me share, what, what do I got going on? Um, oh, hey, so here's, I haven't had time to like properly share this with everybody. I've shared it. Uh, I shared it on a haiku stream last week. I got asked and I accepted the amazing honor and opportunity to keynote besides Charleston conference in November. I'm super stoked. Um, what an honor. First of all, I've spoken B-Sides twice uh, in the past as just a regular speaker, but to be asked to do the keynote is 
amazing, and I'm super pumped, super excited. Uh, and I want to thank all of the uh, committee members and the board over at B-Sides Charleston for this awesome responsibility. Oh, good, King Victory. I'm glad it's part of your morning routine. It's part of my routine, too. Get up every morning. I'm here. I show up 433 times in a row. Although I will tell you, Eric Taylor, Jack Scott, they have done uh, guest hosting. So I can't claim all 400 plus episodes for myself, but you know what I'm saying. Um, James McQuiggan, super excited for B-Sides Charleston. Thanks, James. I know James. Uh, James, if you want to share, um, I don't know if you want to share about B-Sides Charleston, but uh, I'm not going to do the keynote on ransomware. No. I think I might, I, I haven't picked a topic. I don't know how to, I don't know like if when you do a keynote, if you're supposed to do something bigger, but I, I was thinking of uh, like, I'm such an advocate of networking. I've seen it help so many people. I've I, like, I, I have, I have personally experienced it. I have helped people get jobs, like just by directly connecting them. Cause I, cause I know what people want. Like Josh Mason, Josh Mason just became available and I connected him. I mean, not that I'm the only one helping Josh, but my point is, like, networking is so unfreaking believably valuable. And I used to operate in a space where, like, I was like, oh, you know, it's a meritocracy. I just grind my butt off and I'll get great jobs. That's not how it works, at least in the United States. You can be the you can be the valedictorian of your class and not get a job and be middle of the pack. And because you have networked and c contacts and social circles and crap like that. You get a job. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying it's reality, okay? So I think I might do the talk on how to do that super effective and suggestions for different personality types because the way I do it is different than the way other people can do it. Hold on, hold on. Ace Walker in the house just passed Sec Plus. Nice job, Ace Walker. Super pumped for you. Congratulations. That is fantastic. So, so happy for you. All right, Frank's asking here, what was the other info stealer? Did you mention, oh, raccoon info? Yeah, the other one, excuse me, the other one is rac, um, is redline info stealer. Uh, here, let me show you. Redline info stealer, I would argue, is actually even bigger than, um, is even bigger than uh, raccoon. Here, come on, man. Guys, I'll tell you what, here's a little tidbits Tuesday on a Friday. I have like zero tolerance for um slow internet speeds like if i hit enter to load a web page and it doesn't load like within one second i i start getting wicked boston and like just pissy um all right so frank frank here's uh information oh, information on redline info stealer i didn't uh vet this website it was just the first one that came up um it's just the first one that came up okay Let's see here. Uh, hey, just curious if you can touch base on the Monty ransomware. It seems like it's making a comeback with something new. Monty ransomware. Oh, yeah. Hey, really quick. Marcus Kyler uh, reminding me. <laughs> Guys, I, thank you, Marcus. Guys, listen, I this is going to sound ridiculous and absurd, but I am doing so many different things that I just forget. Um, I certainly forget to tell you and sometimes I forget frankly and I'm just kind of like living out of my calendar but yeah I actually got asked and accepted to speak on the CISO series weekly roundup next week so um, if you are interested in that I'm actually going to coordinate with them um, on Monday to get that sorted out I totally forgot um, 
Where, where is there? Where's the roundup? I don't. I don't know. Marcus, if there's a link, drop it in chat, and I'll, I'll do it. But yeah, David Spark, his whole team over there. I'll be working with them on Friday next week for a live stream. Now, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Really quickly, uh, here we go. Uh, now, um, somebody asked about. Leon asked about the Monty ransomware. So I haven't heard of Monty ransomware, but let me look really quickly. Monty ransomware returns with new Linux variant enhanced evasion tactics. And then we got this like token, um, you know, hex dump. This is like a great graphic, but this isn't saying anything. This isn't you. This is not a researcher doesn't look at this and go, oh, yeah. Although actually, hold on. I'm an a-hole. It does say Monty right here. So I suppose that's where it got its name and possibly how you can tell whether or not the binary has um, uh, is part of this. Trend Micro reporting on it. Uh, I'm doing this in real time, by the way, for Leon Elliott. So give me a hot minute. Um, it's based on uh, leaked Conti source code. So that would indicate that it's probably okay. We saw this. We've seen this in the past, like Mirai botnet, source code gets leaked and it gets re-engineered, refactored and leveraged. Um, okay, so and then now a bin diff is just a tool. It does a uh, like a comparison between two binaries. 99% similarity with Conti. So obviously it's Conti. Um, it is a Linux variant, so it attacks Linux. Linux are the workhorses of IT infrastructure. We all run around with Windows machines, but the people who like are working in the back, the Morlocks who are running the data center, it runs on Linux, okay? Uh, pretty clever, they use the message of the day. <laughs> so when you log into the box, the message of the day reveals the uh, ransomware. I, I don't know, uh, Leon, I hadn't heard about this. Um, it seems just like what I say, you know, before, like you should be practicing best practices around ransomware protection, recovery, and, uh, the ability to continue, um, um, business operations while, um, while getting screwed. Uh, let me see, see if there's TTPs dark reading. Oh, I actually have something to share with you. Hold on one second. Uh, Yeah, so basically Monty is just Conti. Conti was a really, really powerful ransomware variant. The Wizard uh, Spider Gang ran it. Conti was like the, the lock bit of 2020. And Conti only imploded because of the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. Because half the gang was Russian and half was Ukrainian and it split them up. Conti would still be dominating if Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine, uh, I, I suspect. All right, hey, really quickly, um, BSEC in chat provided this to me a little while ago. I want to share it with you all. Um, if you like Dark Net Diaries, I haven't listened to this myself. If you like Dark Net Diaries, BSEC is saying that this podcast hacked. Um, Dark Net Diaries, if, check out Hacked. Uh, you could like it, okay? So this is a recommendation from BSEC. Like I said, I haven't checked it, but I do respect BSEC's opinion. So if he says it's good, it's good. It's good. It's good with me too. All right. So check that out. All right, where are we going? Keeping on looking. Uh, my dad used to. Uh, nope. 
Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Kimberly's dad and I uh, in the same boat with uh, internet speeds. Randolph, James Randolph saying, does anyone use something like Port Smooth in commercial work? Uh, Port Spoof is a database of dynamic service signatures that we use to generate fake banners and tool scan full scanners. Uh, yeah, that's a question for the group. I haven't used those myself. Um, having a honeypot um, on the internet is fun, but it's pretty low fidelity. Having a honeypot inside your environment, that's pretty high fidelity. Uh, just sh sharing that. I actually want to have Eric Capuano, who used to be Eric Capuano from Recon Infosec, well known for the SOC analyst. Uh, playlist in the, the sock lab he's actually um really really well informed on honey pots and the use of honey pots um i'm actually planning a long-term um uh plan with honey pots hey good morning um with honey pots um on the stream uh, on the channel so just chilling that uh all right b sex upset that CISO series didn't cover all the cool stories <laughs> Uh, Jenny Housley. Hi, Jerry. I hope you're doing great. I was wondering if you could recommend a strong laptop to buy if you want to practice different cyber activities on, please. Okay. So King Victory is asking for a good laptop. So here's the thing. I get asked this question periodically. When you're picking a laptop, it, it's really important to understand what are your needs because there's a wide range of options. And depending on what your needs are, depends on what you're doing. Here's what I will tell you. Mac laptops are expensive like three grand for a mac laptop they're also really really useful however um with the m1 m2 m3 silicon chip i i had a mac um with the silicon chip a lot of things won't work with it right so like the sock lab i think like VirtualBox doesn't work with it um so anyways I, personally i would stay away from uh macs if you're trying to do stuff on on your machine then you got to think like it's got to be powerful enough. If you just want to run a Linux variant and remote into cloud systems, like say you're going to learn hacking by Hack the Box or Haiku, or you're going to learn security defense stuff through Let's Defend or Range Force, well, then you don't really need a powerful computer because all the load is being done on the cloud, right? And you, so you can get a, not a cheap computer, but for like 800 bucks, you could get a, less powerful laptop and still be able to take advantage of all those things. I myself personally, give me a second. All right. Okay. Who are we? Okay. So I myself personally, uh, was running a uh, Dell. This is going to look ridiculous, by the way. I was running this Dell um, XPS laptop. The thing's a beast. I don't like it. I don't like large. Like, this thing has like a 19-inch monitor or something stupid. I don't like it. I was running that for my mobile studio. It was not powerful enough, okay? So I ended up buying this. This is like a Legion, Lenovo Legion, okay? And this thing is a beast. And this is actually, this was expensive. This is like $2,800. But this thing is, this is a gaming laptop. So this thing's got a um, a GPU, a, a GeForce RTX, like 3080 GPU in it. This thing is a, is a workhorse. This is my streaming laptop. But I need it because I'm running like eight different applications in order to deliver Simply Cyber content live to you, right? 
So, but you wouldn't need that if you're gonna do everything in the cloud. Then I've got this. This is like an IBM ThinkPad, right? This, hold on, this thing. This thing weighs nothing. Like, this thing weighs nothing. And this is awesome. Like, this is an awesome laptop. Weighs nothing, easy to travel, powerful enough, but I can't run Simply Cyber on it. You see what I'm saying? So, King Victory, I know that's not as a simple question of just dropping a link in chat and being like, buy this one. But you need to define what your requirements are, think through them from, from a training perspective, and then get the right system. If I was on a budget, what I, or you know, if I was gonna buy one for my kid going off to college and on a budget, I would get him what I would probably get him this IBM um, ThinkPad. It's light enough to travel with, it, it it can do all the things you want, and then I would direct him to do most of his learning through cloud-based applications. Because honestly, you're outsourcing it anyways allow someone else to maintain the infrastructure, maintain the labs, make sure that the drivers and dependencies are all in place, right? Maintaining your own home lab sucks, honestly. Like, and I know there might be some diehards in chat who are like, no, you gotta run your own lab. Here's the thing. Yeah, it's really cool to have hardware laying around and being able to like, look like the keyboard is from sticks playing like two different keyboards and being like, yeah, this is my domain. But in reality, maintenance, infrastructure, resource, electricity. It's a burden, man. Like take advantage of cloud. The dream of cloud was to like basically scale up and only pay for what you need. And a lot of businesses are taking advantage of that. Plus they're charging subscription models. So for like 20 bucks a month, you can get access to like all these resources, which is what I would say. A, a big mistake people make is that they sign up for, you know, whatever, some subscription model because it's really cheap. You're like, oh, cool, 20 bucks a month. I got access to all these resources. And then they don't prioritize learning. If you're going to go into this, you got to go gangbusters and, and take advantage of it when it's there. Uh, so anyways, that's a long answer to your question. Hopefully that was useful. Uh, King Victory. Monty is Conti. Conti is Monty. LOL. I like that. Um, Lamar Anderson saying, did you end up standing that honeypot up again? So Lamar, I did not end up standing it up again. So I tried a couple times. It wasn't working. I stood it up. It got nuked. I talked to the uh, creators of that honeypot. They said that doesn't make any sense. And then I didn't have time. The thing is, if I'm going to stand it up again, I need dedicated time in order to you know, capture logs basically. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to coordinate with Eric Capuano and do a live stream and do all that. So the answer is no Lamar, but it is on my, it's on my Q4 radar. I, here's the deal. I need more time. I'm about to get a boatload of more time on September 4th. Okay. Believe that. Okay. All right, here we go. Um, what's the best resource to understand? NIST 853 CSF. Oh, Sheba, my friend on LinkedIn, Sheba. Oh, I love myself some NIST 853 CSF. So here's the thing. Um, a, cu a couple things. One, um, how, do I, how do I do this? Here's the thing. One, You've got to remember, NIST 853 is just a dictionary of controls, okay? So, honestly, the easiest way to learn NIST 853, and I know you're going to hate this answer, the easiest way is to read it. I know it's 300, 400 pages long. You know what? The easiest way to eat a crap sandwich, take a bite, one bite at a time. You got to read this thing, right? This is just a dictionary of controls. That's all this is. 53 is like a phone book. 
right? You pick, or it's a tackle box. There's a lot of different hooks. There's a lot of different lures. There's a lot of different bobbers. There's a lot of different options in your toolbox or your fishing tackle box. And you pick the ones that reduce risk in a meaningful way for your organization, okay? Now, you asked about NIST CSF. What I would say here is, um, I have done multiple videos on the channel with NIST CSF. Um, I love, I love NIST CSF. I love NIST. You guys know, hold on, where's my, I have an iHeart NIST button, right? There is a, um, Jack Scott uh, is actually giving a, uh, hold on. And again, this isn't a long answer, Sheba. Jack Scott is actually doing a workshop right here with Simply CyberCon. She's going to be talking about NIST CSF and how to implement it. Uh, that would definitely be good. There's a lot. I don't have like a dynamite resource. I think, I think I might be mistaken. And I know this sounds ridiculous that I don't know. I think my GRC course has an entire lecture around NIST cybersecurity framework and how it's shaped and how it's structured. So those, that's another resource we're checking out. Hopefully that helps you. Those, those things I just mentioned. All right. Um, all right, hold on. Uh, good thing is they, uh, you guys are talking about the podcast. Uh, Jenny Housley, we're talking search yesterday. I was wondering for someone trying to break in and get their first job in Sire. Can you have too many certs? No, you cannot have too many certs. Definitely not. No one, no one, um, like I have never heard anyone say this and I have, I've hired lots of people in my career, right? I've never looked at someone's resume and been like, whoa, there's too many certs here. That's kind of a red flag. Like that's a problem. So no, you can't have too many certs. Um, I will say that the number of certs does not directly correlate. Like I don't look at two applicants and one has one cert and one has 10 certs. And I'm like, oh, the 10 cert one's definitely um, more qualified, right? I will say that when I see a lot of certs, I actually do think like, oh, this person's got a plan. This person's, you know, taking initiative and crushing it. So that's pretty cool. Um, so, but no, you can't have too many certs. Hey, yeah, thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, Jenny putting her own comment in here. That's right. Um, acid burn. Okay, so Jesse's talking about that. Um, I know you mentioned this yesterday. Sean Peralt on chat's asking, could you remind me of the note-taking application DFIR course next week. First of all, awesome digital forensics course next week. Um, the two note-taking apps that we discussed yesterday, one is Notion. Uh, well, hold on. You don't want to see that. Uh, one is Notion. Oh, my God. One is Notion. I'll drop a link in chat to that right here, okay? I use Notion personally. I think Notion's awesome. Uh, King Victory, I'll get to the super chat in a second. I like Notion. The other one is Obsidian. Uh, Brandon Poole from Panopsi, he's a big Obsidian guy. I, like I said, I think that Obsidian and Notion are basically like VI and Nano. Like you're either, or GIF and GIF. Like you're either hardcore one or you're hardcore the other and there is no, you don't flirt. You don't take both of these to the dance. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so hopefully that answers your question. King Victory with the super chat. Let me get this on screen for everybody. Thanks, Jerry. Great advice. Always learning from you. Uh, your ability to explain complicated ideology at the latest terms is awesome. Love your show. 
we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you so much, King Victory, for the super chat. Huge fan. I see you here all the time in, in stream, so I'm super pumped to have you uh, in chat. Looks like Base Cases woke up. Good to see you, Base, on the West Coast. What's a good resource for more PCAP analysis practice? Great question, Fallon Watts. Fallon Watts wants to know what's a great, the number one resource for learning PCAP analysis, bar none, okay? There is not even a close second. Like in my opinion, this is the number one, number two, and number three best resource for PCAP analysis. This thing is such a treasure, okay? Malwaretrafficanalysis.net. I'm gonna drop a link in chat, okay? PCAP analysis training bookmark this at a minimum dude this guy it's one guy i forget his name um it's one guy and he literally grabs pcaps all the time you can see him you just click on any of these here's the pcap file itself and then typically um hold on one second let me let me do this the right way This is his main page, right? His name is Malware Traffic on Mastodon, okay? Click here for training exercises. So look at any of these. Cold as ice, Unit 42, Wireshock for Iced ID. We actually covered this in the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. You click here, you get the resource, and then he gives you quiz questions, right? And then the answers are down here. Uh, where are the answers? Um, I don't see it here. This is a, a nicer looking one. It looks like he just borrowed this from um, Unit 42. But my point is the answers are provided. So you can literally do the exercise. And if you get stuck, get the answer and, and then work your, your way back. Here's another. Hold on one second. All right. So this is more his style, right? So traffic analysis. Again, here is the setup of the environment. Here are the tasks. And then here... Click here for answers. So you yourself, guys, here's what you could do. You literally could download some PCAP files, you know, get Wireshark, obviously. Download the summary, the details, the IOCs, the answers, but don't look at them. Hop on a plane, get off the internet, walk into the woods, whatever, and you could practice and learn um, um uh, traffic packet analysis, right? So hold on, I got to put myself above that. Okay. Anyways, wicked great resource. Definitely take advantage of it. Let me go back to this. How are we doing on time? Almost 930. I'm going to have to boogie in a few minutes. You guys are the best. Love this community. Thank you all so very much. Uh, yeah, so B base case is my resident um, technical audio engineer computer engineer like when i got um this ibm laptop here uh, i had an option between like three different uh laptops uh that ran the intel v pro platform tech stack on it and i definitely asked base case so if if you hold on at base case is he in chat base is not in chat right now but if you see base case wandering around he knows his stuff okay so definitely ask him i i ask him okay <laughs> um uh, okay, so cool. Um, Kimberly uh, can fix it is sharing uh, a NIST CSF resource for Sheba and everybody else. I just dropped it in chat. Uh, Simply Cyber, do you prefer NIST or CIS? Um, so BSEC's asking if I prefer NIST or CIS. Guys, um, 
So what he's really asking is the NIST cybersecurity framework versus the CIS 18. And if you don't know what those are, those are two different approaches to a uh, structured information security program. I personally, uh, I like both of them. And really, I don't have a, pre I, I prefer NIST CSF, honestly, but it doesn't matter. It is the right tool for the right job, okay? So let's just say, for example, you go into a tech startup company that has 18 employees, all cloud systems, or your financial management services company, four employees, all cloud systems. You guys run laptops and that's it. Cell phones, that's it. CIS 18 is perfect for that. CIS 18 is the most stripped down, simple, straightforward, training wheels, information security program structure you can approach, okay? This CSF is more comprehensive, has a lot more focus on incident response and recovery, but it's much more involved, much more effort, much more lift. For me, this CSF is perfect for mid-sized business. You know, uh, over $100 million annual revenue, 1,000 employees, right? You could run CSF all the way up to Fortune 5 companies if you really wanted to get gangbusters too. So the flexibility is there. So when you ask me if I prefer CIS or NIST CSF, the question I would come back with is what organization are you asking me to protect? And then I will choose the right tool for it uh, or the right framework. But I mean, secretly I do, I do heart NIST all, all day, every day. Um, let's see, uh, has anyone done a one trust training? No, Jose, Al Jose Alfredo, hopefully someone in chat answered your question. Um, Got him one minute here. Uh, Jerry saying, God cracks me up on Oh My Gow, uh, <laughs> Boston. Yep. Uh, casually Joseph asking about digital forensics. That was a question in chat. So if, um, if um, uh, I, I don't know who asked the question, but uh, yeah, whoever asked the question about digital forensics course coming up, please drop it in chat. Um, base case upset. Uh, all right, final question. Uh, Leon Elliott asking, I mean, do you utilize, do you utilize Alany GRC platform for Mil Miltra Tech? Um, so Leon, I'm not really familiar with that. Let me look. A-L-Y-N-E-G-R-C Miltra. I'm not going to bring it up on stream because I don't want to support it until I see what it is. Full suite GRC platform. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have an opinion on it. I don't have an opinion on it. GRC platforms are fine, but they're like, I could do a whole stream on it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it. So I, I, I haven't used this uh, platform, so I can't speak to it, okay? All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. It's 930. Solid, solid um, jaw jacking. What a great way. Um, uh, what framework would you use for a church that does streaming? CIS 18 is fine. Jose Alfredo. Uh, that'll work. Guys, be good. Uh, thank you all so much. Solid jaw jacking. Love it, love it, love it. Um, have a good weekend. Go strong. All right, BSEC, I'll talk to you afterwards. Guys, solid. Uh, much love to everybody. If you see someone, help them out. 
Be good. War goons, welcome to the party. I hope you come back next week. Till next time, y'all. Stay secure. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that content. Keep the cybersecurity train going by connecting with the other Simply Cyber community resources. We have the Discord server that's lively and always keeps the conversation going. You can connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And also every single weekday morning on the Simply Cyber channel, we're doing live daily cyber threat briefings, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as well as Thursday at 4.30 p.m. We're doing live stream interviews with industry experts and we produce videos that we push out every Wednesday morning. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. I hope you enjoyed the content and we'll see you in the next one. One.